0: And the thing about embarrassment that's, like, so hard to remember is that, like, it doesn't, it's not real. It's not anything. Like, nothing happens. There's no consequences to being embarrassed. The only negative consequence to being embarrassed is usually fearing embarrassment and then stopping yourself from doing something that would make your life beautiful because you're afraid of embarrassment.
1: Welcome back. We're not for everyone. I'm Jess. That's Caroline. I have a complaint immediately. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Those four seconds without one. Honestly, were killing me. What? (laughs) I know. I saw it. I saw it on your face. I need to know, and I've needed to know this for a long time, but as I get older, it almost becomes more paramount that I have an answer to this question. Why in adult establishments... Places where adults hang out, restaurants, bars, coffee shops, wherever, where, anywhere you go. Why is there always toilet paper all over the ground in the bathroom? <laughs> we are adults. I don't understand. I actually have wondered this forever. It dates back to a Dane Cook joke, which he was like my first exposure to comedy. Love him or hate him. I learned a lot from the guy. And he had a joke about. Toilet paper all over a bathroom floor and, like, people kicking in the walls when they go to the bathroom in a public place. I need to understand what this is. Do you have anything for me? Are you the person doing it?
0: No, I don't think I am. (laughs) I don't think I am. I don't think I have any answers. It's upsetting.
1: Yeah. There's crumpled up toilet paper. There's Band-Aids sometimes. There's
0: there's PR all over the toilet seat which then makes you not want to sit on the toilet seat then you have to hover and it's like if we all just sat on the toilet seat (laughs) none of us would have to pee on the
1: toilet seat okay that's a really good take because i hate hovering and i agree if we just were normal it wouldn't be gross to sit
0: yeah i think it's like there's like one i think out of every 100 adults there's one who likes to just like poop on the floor and doesn't, doesn't give a fuck. And I think the bathroom is fine. I think the public bathroom is fine until that person comes in and they're like, pee on the toilet seat, toilet paper on the floor, poop on the floor. I've seen it before. I've seen like, it. Like, what are they in I've a rush seen it to it get in K-Mart. to? And then, in a K-Mart. then and once they do that, then everybody else is like, Fuck this place. Like, this place is a mess. I don't owe this place anything. Yeah. It's kind of how I think people treat New York City. Like, the whole city is kind of a trash can, so no one feels responsible for keeping it clean. It's the New York City is kind of like a public bathroom. And and so it's like once it's established that it's kind of been trashed, everyone else is like, well, it's not on me to keep it clean. And then you just have the whole city
1: pooping on the floor. Mm hmm. You nailed that. That's actually, you know. Obviously, because you're a scientist, you got here. But that's actually a real thing. It's called the broken windows theory. And it's it's this thing of like when a neighborhood is already destroyed, there are broken windows. There's pollution all over the ground. There's this. There's that. There's graffiti, whatever it is. Like people will just keep treating it as a trash can as opposed to treating it like a place that they should uphold and respect and like keep clean. Yeah. Um, So that is it is true. Once it starts the ripple effect you can't stop in a public bathroom but you named Kmart and at least at Kmart it's like okay this is a Kmart I have kind of like certain expectations of the cleanliness or the clientele it everybody comes to Kmart it's like a catch-all for everything there's some poop to be expected right Kmart. In a Kmart. but why is this happening at like my co-working space this is where I
0: oh wrote this that's down different I was day. picturing
1: like Starbucks and stuff that's one thing I can I can explain uh, that away but it's happening like, in your co-working space. Yeah, we pay to hang out there. Yeah, it's like keep it. It is it is just a bit shocking. The amount of poop that's on the ground at my co-working space. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my complaint for the day. There's no answers. If somebody wants to like break this down, honestly, if people could come forward <sighs> as those one percenters
0: remember in in middle school and high school when they would do this to us when they like someone someone yes. would like someone would like unplug all the computers in the computer lab and they'd be like they'd sit us down on the bleachers in the gym mm-hmm. in our like class of 60 girls that are all girls catholic school and they'd be like whoever did this if you just come forward you will not be as punished and you'll do the right thing and like we re- we responded to that like that did it for us that was totally that's all we needed to we'd be like it was me and I've since spoken I've talked to like Justin about this a lot and he was like no you never confess what that wasn't a problem at my school <laughs> like I don't know that why was that
1: a constant thing at our school
0: that was so effective all they had to do was say like you have to tell the truth and we'd be like
1: I pulled out all the plugs in the computer lab <laughs> Well, I think it was the social pressure a little bit of like once they gathered everyone because into a room. Because there would be,
0: once again, the there's the one kid who would poop on the floor or who would turn you in. And you knew there was that one kid who would turn you in. And so then nothing is safe. Then you need to go confess. There'd be that one kid oh, who would I turn see. on everybody else. You know what I mean? I was thinking th- it's more it's just like the metaphorical pooping guilt. of the
1: floor. I was thinking more of like <sighs> the, the guilt was of, very effective. I know I did it. And oh, yeah. if they're telling me right now that everybody's going to get in trouble or I could just come forward and they'll they'll be a little bit easier on me and I won't get everyone else in my class in trouble. Like that guilt would probably weigh on me in that situation. You know what I mean? I and, think, and we're all yeah. gathered in the gym and people are rolling their eyes like Ugh, who did this? Now I'm going to be in trouble. You know what I mean? And you feel pressure. I think the guilt for me was more just like Jesus knows. OK. Genuinely. The- for me, it was more social pressure than okay. Jesus. But I okay. think they were both are pulling on, on both at the yeah. at our school. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, I think I've talked to like Justin, and some other people about us now, and and so many people I've talked to were just like everyone just had each other's back. Like no one would turn anybody in
1: wow. in their school. And I was like, that was not the case. I have a no. very distinct memory in the fourth grade. I was in Miss Keegan's class. I don't. Think you were in Miss Keegan's was. class? You were. I was. Oh, we were in the same fourth grade class. Okay, there because there were three sections. So, do you happen to remember we had yes, a substitute yes, yes. teacher yeah, one day?
0: Yeah. Oh my god! <sighs> this was this was first of all. Let me say this was like the naughtiest thing we ever did. So let me. I just still like, think
1: about it. I'm let, 32 years old.
0: <laughs> and also, this is not really a naughty story. But remember Mm-mm. how much trouble
1: we got in? Okay, tell the naughty naughty fourth grader story. We had, I can't believe you were also in this class. That makes me so happy. I was, we had a substitute teacher and the day before the substitute was coming in, somebody in our class was like, let's do a prank on the substitute where when they call attendance tomorrow morning, we all raise our hand for a different person. Like, yeah, we pretend to be different kids. Yes. When she says, is Caroline present? I'll say present.
0: I think there's and a chance this was partly my idea. It's like something I would have been
1: <laughs> into, but Maybe. I don't actually remember. I, I don't remember who it was either, I but I can guarantee it was not my idea. I was yeah. a very like goody two shoes, not going to do that. But social pressure. I was like, this seems harmless. It seems fun. Everybody else is doing it. Yeah, let's it do it. It was harmless. First of all, it was. And harmless. it was harmless.
0: And it, fucking, it was a victimless crime. It was a victimless crime.
1: <laughs> right. So we do that the next day. And I don't even remember like how the substitute figured that out or maybe one person like turned us giggling. in.
0: We couldn't stop giggling. We couldn't stop giggling like 4 minutes into it. Yeah. And they responded as if we had like slaughtered a village in front of them. <laughs> it was the reaction, the response, actually it makes me angry that like I was like We weren't doing drugs. We weren't skipping class. We like pretended to have, we like pretended we were all attending school. We just pretended to have different names.
1: We were attending school so that we could do this fun thing. Like we all showed up that day because we knew we had a fun plan in place. Like maybe somebody would have played sick that day if we didn't have this. Anyway, yes. Um, And then we had to like each person in our class had to write a letter of apology to the substitute teacher about this. And I specifically remember, I'm always talking about my dad on this podcast, but my dad was pissed that I had to write an apology letter. One for something so benign two for something that he knew was not my idea. And all of that. He was like, this is what happened. That Why did we send them to Catholic school? They just have to apologize for everything what, left, and right and left and right and left and right. That is what Catholic yeah. school is. Yes. And that was often his beef for years to come. Totally. Like anytime something like that happened, which was like once a year, something stupid like that would happen that we all had to apologize for on behalf of the class. That was always his beef. And I don't blame him. Like, that's why I still think about it.
0: It is so stupid. Like, it was such a stupid little thing, but it. For a child, it teaches you, it kind of like demeans what a real apology is for.
1: Yes. And I'm over apologizing uh, all the time. What? And um
0: it, it really has a big effect on you as a kid. It's not a small thing. Um, and what annoys me about those kind of situations in grade school, middle school, high school is a lot of the time like. What does it boil down to? Why did the teacher and the staff get so mad? Like, no one was hurt. It didn't, like, disrupt the lesson. It didn't prevent learning. It didn't disrupt the agenda. I would say it wasn't, like, disrespectful to anybody. It just kind of embarrassed the substitute. It's just like an adult. There are all these instances where, like, they will punish you, and they claim it's over them trying to teach you some kind of moral, but it's just like that they got embarrassed by a kid, Mm. and so they're going to
1: punish you for it i want a fucking apology letter i want oh, my yeah. apology i want an apology letter for all of the apologies that i was forced to give for silly things like that at that school that have turned me into a person that over apologizes for everything i always think things are my fault i always think i'm in trouble for something i mean i've grown out of a lot of this but at the I same haven't. time there's I have a little kid that still lives in all of us that still for me still feels that way even though like Kind of like the front of my mind has has taught myself out of these things. Yeah. This little girl fourth grader is still in me scared that I'm in trouble and scared that I'm doing something wrong and so certain I need to apologize all the fucking time yeah. because of things like that. I want I an think apology.
0: It, it actually <laughs> confused in trying to like teach us some version of morality, it actually confused morality for me more Mm. because this version of morality had no correlation to um, guilt or to causing harm or to like right and wrong. It could just be like anything. Uh, It could be something very neutral. I don't know. Yeah. So Catholic school.
1: It's going to be interesting if – there are teachers listening to this who have a different perspective than us. Like current day people our age who are teachers and maybe they have been on the receiving end of a harmless prank,
0: like authority and like respecting authority matters. And yeah. also I've seen so many teachers just fucking, I mean, play a take prank it, back, take come it, the next take it day and strength. prank the
1: kids. That's what I would do if I was a teacher in that situation. And I have no training on being a teacher. I, I, Don't really want kids like I don't know what the right way to handle this situation actually is. But my immediate thought is like, okay, show them how that feels in the reverse. Be a little bit playful. Do something harmless. You don't want to like embarrass these kids, you know, just because you were embarrassed, but kind of like play the game and tease them. I that's what I would do. And I think it could be funny. Totally. And teach a lesson in a different way. You know, Um. Anyway, okay, well, yeah, so poop on the floor, <laughs> and apologies. Good kickoff. We're actually, clearly we're uh, scraping at the bottom of the barrel still for our topics each week. We are just both, like, brain dead. Thank God for what to dos um, We're doing we're a what to do in. episode. We're going to jump into them, right? I, I honestly live for a what to do because it just yeah. gives us something to talk about and have an opinion on that has nothing to do with us and it's freeing.
0: <laughs> these are tough ones. Yeah, these are tough ones. I'm um, just selected some what to do's that you guys sent in and these are some stumpers, y'all. I think I'm going to I'm going to be listening to Jess's advice on a lot of these. Some of these are hard for oh. me,
1: but I'll talk. I'll fucking talk. We'll talk. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I have true advice, but that's the point of what it is. So
0: no, we got to remind you, this is not advice. <laughs> this is just all this will ever be. All we can ever be is two friends chatting mm-hmm. at you and friends are going to chat at you your whole life. And that doesn't mean you have to do what they say they would do. doesn't mean they're making the right calls. You usually
1: won't. You, you usually, usually won't almost do never, what your friend's
0: telling almost you. Almost never. Like sometimes I think about doing this advice stuff and actually I am a lot of For a lot of people in my life, I am their advice person or like for a a lot of people. And I actually do think I can give good advice, but there's just such a gap between being able to give the advice objectively from a distance, looking at a situation and being able to live it like the way I'm living my life right now is (laughs) it's it doesn't it's back to back panic attacks and like identity crises and meltdowns and. And that's why that's why I can't that's why I feel like I'm running out of stuff on to talk about on the podcast because there yeah all the, I'm like working on stuff I'm trying to figure stuff out but it's it's not stuff that can be exported you know um, yeah right it's now not there yet so to I don't know. Process. I'm gonna keep talking but I don't really know how to live one's life
1: I think would agree would agree yeah almost all the advice I give which is a lot of it um. Not unsolicited. I'm very good at not giving unsolicited advice. I will I will stop myself if no one's asking for it. But often people are asking me for it. And I give it and I know full well that I wouldn't do what I'm telling them to do. But I also know that it's probably the right thing to do. Probably a better thing than a lot of the alternatives. That's it. That's the That's the prelude. Let's kick it. So there were several questions around... Quitting jobs, knowing when it's time to quit your job, um, which we've talked about a little bit in our career for you episode. So for anybody who's in that situation, if you haven't listened to that one yet, I'd say go back because we did cover quite a bit of these topics. But there was this interesting spin on it um, in one of the questions that was submitted, which is what to do when your partner hates their job, but won't oh. do anything about it. Oh,
0: To me, that's that's a completely different topic. It is completely different.
1: I I thought it was the interesting spin on quitting because everybody's asking us, should I quit? Should I quit? But this is more like you're projecting that your partner maybe should quit, wants to quit, whatever. But they're not doing anything and you're tired of hearing about it. I find it relatable. Oh, yeah. It's relatable. It's relatable. What do you think? What oh would you God. do? Or what okay. would you tell your friend to do and not actually do?
0: <laughs> um, Actually, what I've learned to do painfully at this point, if this is like a character trait, if this is not just a yes. single situation, if this is like a pretty consistent trait of your partner that they like, encounter a life problem that they're really upset about and that they express their disappointment over, over and over and over and over. And and they're unable to take action on it. To me, these days, that's a deal breaker. I won't fucking date you. I have dated that person so many times. I have tried to like be the helper. That's a pitfall for me. I will help you figure out your life. I will help you with the logistics. So recently in dating, it was top priority priority to me to, only date people who like the logistics and the functionality of their life is like they're doing it without me
1: mm-hmm. because
0: I like I I have a hard time resisting if someone needs help and it is a exhausting b fucking pointless like you cannot make somebody do anything you can't make someone do anything so like <laughs> that's why I'm like how do I quit my own job? That's one conversation. How do I help my partner do anything? No, right. it's not even, it's nothing. No, you don't, you don't, you don't. I would say like, there's two different, and like, I wouldn't date, I couldn't date this person now, but it, it happens a lot. There's like, you know, sometimes it, it's just like a situation that happens and it's not their whole personality. And I think it also happens a lot more when people are younger, like in their twenties and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's two different answers. One is like, if they have expressed they would like to quit, if they've actually expressed that's a goal, if your partner expresses any goal to you, then it's a, you have a little bit of room to be like, Hey, I've heard you say you want to do this thing. And what I see you doing is this, but not this. Do you want, like, you can like hold up a mirror. You can't make them do anything. I think there's a line, but you, you have a little more room to hold up a mirror and be like, I've heard this is what you want. Like, but this is what you're doing. Do you want to help me hold you accountable? Do you want to talk through this? Do you need help getting to that point? I would still really limit how much. Don't fucking hold their hand. It doesn't fucking go anywhere. But if they haven't even expressed that they want to quit, if they are like just really unhappy in it and complaining and like, you cannot make someone make a change that they haven't even expressed they want to make. I mean, I would... I would do I would put so much more energy into
1: limiting how much energy you give this spot on the whole. That was exactly my my read on this. And I think you opened by saying, like, is this a character trait? I think that's definitely the first question you have to ask. And there's two character traits that could be happening here. One of them is what you described, which is, is this a person who. Allows themselves to stay stuck in situations that they don't like and aren't good for them and doesn't make life changes and um, doesn't know how to like, you know, take the next step and get themselves to a better place and like relies on you for that type I was of gonna thing. Say,
0: and makes other
1: people carry the burden of their unhappiness. Yes. And then the other character trait, which it, this person could be both, but it could also just be one or the other. The other character trait that I've seen is like people who just like. To complain and it's funny for us to say that because we do so many complaints on the podcast but petty complaints that are They're funny art. It's and observational art. it's art is art it's, it's art. different than it's art would would agree we're science and we're art we're all of it um, <laughs> <laughs> but there are some people who want to live in the victim mindset who want yeah. to live In a negative mindset who want to live in a way that's like everything about my life sucks and it's it's all these outside factors. And then there's me and it's never almost like they have no control of it. I have no it's just happening to them. Right. And I mean, that is actually I totally agree with what you said about, like, I don't want to fuck with people who can't make their own life decisions and can't get themselves out of a negative place on their own and things like that. But almost before I had that realization, The first realization I had is I don't want to fuck with people who are so negative all the time, who it's just their job might be fine. They might be fine staying there forever. If they haven't told you they want to leave, they literally might think this is my job forever. And I get to complain about it because that's what I do when I'm in any situation. I'm a complainer. I'm a negative person. And those people are life sucking to me, like really hard to be around And you might be feeling that burden on yourself, like not just the burden of big burden. How do I get them out? But almost more just the burden of how do I be with a person who is such a downer about everything and just wants to complain but wants to do nothing about it? That is like such a red flag to me. And
0: instead of them owning it, they're actually like making instead of them carrying the burden of their unhappiness, which like we all get in spots in life where we might be unhappy going through. A tough spot like it takes a little while to gear up to make some changes but someone who like declines to own that unhappiness they just make everyone else around them own it like to mm-hmm. they own you now are the owner of their misery and i that's that's why like if it's something that persists and they really are not willing or able to make changes then i think the thing you communicate is to like, say in some kind way, why it's hard for you to know how to keep showing up for someone um, when they are, you know, returning to the same problem, returning to the same unhappiness, someone you care about deeply, how painful it is to see them consistently, persistently unhappy, And um, and not able to do anything about it, because then it gets to like, I need to either not hear about it anymore or or you need to find another outlet or you need to find some action or maybe this relationship doesn't last like that is a that that will that will push anyone apart or just make you both miserable.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe the step that comes before that is like look around at other things in their life, other Things that you both have experienced together in the time that you've been in a relationship, mm. and like really evaluate what their reaction to those harder times or those situations that they felt stuck in were. Is this a one off thing? I'm betting that it's not, but maybe this is a one off thing and they're just really feeling like overwhelmed and stressed right now, and they don't have a pattern of being this negative person or being this person that puts everything on you or being this person that like allows themselves to stay stuck or maybe they do. And so like really looking at, you know, how long has this been going on? Is it only related to work or is it also related to this aspect of their life or that aspect of their life? And is it a trend which would then prove the theory that we're working on here? That's like, it's a character trait. And then once you've arrived at that perspective, that's when I think you can feel a little bit more empowered to bring it up with them and be like, I'm noticing that this is how you handle a lot of hard things that get thrown at you. It's making me feel anxious about our relationship or feel whatever you feel because I can't pick up all the pieces for you every time.
0: You can also make you, you know? feel used. Like in a way, it's like an enabling dynamic when they're mm. addic- addicted to misery. The addiction is misery. Yes. And they've got someone at home who'll make it OK. They've got someone at home who'll always listen to the constant.
1: Misery loves company.
0: Flow of, mi- of misery. And to, to like at a certain point, if you can like it's it's a really hard bounce to strike to that this is something that really tortures me and I like struggle with this, with, like, a particular person in my life who's addicted to being miserable, and um, and I love them, and you're torn between, like, not wanting to abandon someone, mm-hmm. and also not wanting to enable them. It, it's, like, such a fine line. It feels, like, almost impossible to occupy that space, but... I think there is something to kind of um, withdrawing that comfort for them that enables them to keep being miserable in a sustainable way. Sometimes when people have that taken away, then they're left with the reality of how they feel, which is that I'm just Mm -hmm. miserable and there's no one to witness it. And if I don't want to be miserable anymore, I have to do something about it. You know what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really do. I've had those people in my life, too. And, you know, it could result in a little bit of distance between you and this person for some period of time. It could result in like, you know, a certain tension that enters the relationship now that you've pointed out this pattern and you've separated yourself from it. Um, But ultimately, that's going to be better for you and it will be better for them if this enabling thing is going on, which it very well could be. I've had, mm-hmm. I've had that happen with a friend and we've kind of like taken space from our friendship as a result and come back together after some period of time. And they've been able to recognize, yeah, you know, I was really negative and I was putting a lot of that on you and that wasn't fair. And having some time apart from our relationship helped me really realize that and work on it. And now I want to try again to have a better relationship with you. And we do. I'm literally talking about an actual friendship where that yeah. transpired. So it is possible to so hard. I know. I don't even think in that situation I <clears throat> um, directly spoke to them about the fact that this was happening. I don't think I was like able to articulate it in the moment. I felt the weight of their problems and their mindset every time that we would spend time together but I didn't really have the vocabulary Mm -hmm. yet to be able to say like oh they're putting all their shit on me and it's not working um I only really realized that we just kind of drifted apart naturally and then I kind of realized in retrospect that was happening and so did so did they um so anyway this is a bit getting away from the topic but it's a really hard thing to realize that somebody that you love is also somebody that's like loves misery and is draining you. Yeah. And you can both love them and not want to be around that or not want to enable that and it's probably the better choice.
0: Yeah, whatever you do, I would say whatever you do, don't mother them. Don't walk them mm-hmm. through it. Don't do mm-hmm. not do not like be their mother to walk them through it, that you can't doesn't, fix it, it really doesn't them. get anybody anywhere. It
1: doesn't. This person wrote in and said, what to do about spite? Are we good with a little spicy? Well, actually, fuck you. I can in work life or personal situations just because when someone shuts me down, I want to cry, but also I want to kick ass and make them regret it. So basically, I just need a little (laughs) devil angel response from y'all to convince me I'm doing the right thing. What a fucking human message. I was just like this person, (laughs) the self-awareness, the humanity on display. I loved it. I don't I, I don't know. I'm not I don't find myself to be a very spiteful person. But every once in a while, if you're if I'm to the point in a situation where I'm feeling that anger that results in spite like that's bad because it happens rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm usually pretty good at stopping myself from doing the spiteful I thing because I'm, I
0: can't picture you as a spiteful person.
1: I have the thought sometimes, but I, I pretty much never act on it because the way that I govern my life is like putting energy towards something means I care about it and I'm letting it have my I'm letting it have my energy whether it's negative or positive my energy is valuable and if I want like being spiteful and actually acting out in a spiteful way would require a lot of energy that this thing probably doesn't deserve because it pissed me off so fuck it instead of spiting it I'm just gonna put up a wall and be like no more from this situation Mm -hmm. I end up having the spiteful thought, but then not going through with it because I'm like, that would require energy that this doesn't deserve. Well, Um, I guess
0: to me, it's like, what's the spiteful thought? She talks about like, um, it kind of motivating her in like, in her work or some shit. I think, I think the distinction for me is like that spite kind of gives you a little oomph, a little like extra motivation to fucking kick ass in your business, like get motivation wherever you want to get motivation, but don't, I would say like, I think the danger zone is like, you don't want it to be your long-term motivation. You don't want to be building your business just so you can piss someone off. Um, and you don't want to be setting like long-term new goals just out of spite, but like if it gives you a little kick in the ass and something you wanted to do anyway, okay cool. Like motivate yourself however you want. I don't care.
1: Totally. That's actually so true. Don't make it long term though. That's your, you lose, then you've lost for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody asked us about, um, one time when we were asking for hot take topics, somebody submitted revenge body, which I thought was such a funny, um, topic to think about. Like people who go through a breakup and then right afterwards, they're like hitting the gym, they get really hot and While that that often happens post breakup for anyone like I did that after my big breakup, it wasn't really to get revenge, at least not consciously. It was just like the only thing that feels good is to go to the gym and whatever. Got so that's what I'm doing to take care of myself. you got all this yeah. fucking
0: time. I don't know how people work out when they're in a relationship. Like <laughs> right? you've got all this time, right. everyone in the gym. And it's so funny. I never thought about it. I go to gym all the time, but I went a lot more when I was single. And I never thought about it when I was single going to the gym. But now when I walk into the gym, I'm like, oh, all these people are single. Like everyone here is yeah. basically single or, or like barely holding, or they're in a relationship and they're barely holding on to their fitness arrangement.
1: Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. Totally, They're like, this is their one time in the last two weeks. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's it's a good exemplification of spite. It's like if the only reason that you're trying to go to the gym and work out is for a revenge body, that body's probably not going to last you very long because that's not enough motivation for you to keep going to the gym and keep up your like gorgeous new figure forever. But if it's like the thing that gets you out of bed that morning after your last conversation with your ex and that's what's going to get you to go to the gym and do something healthy for you. Like, okay, fine. Do it for a little bit. And then hopefully it turns into like, you end up really liking the gym. It's kind of similar. It's like, I've definitely had an attitude in certain projects I've taken on my first, uh, podcast peaking. I always wanted to do a podcast. I was already dabbling in the comedy world. It was something Are
0: You better. Tell me this was a revenge podcast. I hope a was a revenge podcast.
1: It was something on my radar that like I might want to do something like that, but it wasn't until somebody broke up with me that I was like. Oh, now I gotta like prove them wrong. Even mm-hmm. though he never doubted that I would be like a good podcaster, like it wasn't specific. It's more it fun wasn't... to
0: imagine that he did. It's more fun to imagine, I know, right? That he doubted. It wasn't me. He probably specific. fucking doubted me. That he probably fucking doubted me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he
1: didn't want to be with me, so he didn't believe in anything about me. You know, believe in me, and that did put a fire under my ass to start doing something that I'd wanted to do. So I feel like that type of spite, sure. But actually acting out like against someone directly, like saying, you know, I I'm don't know, vengeful. fighting
0: back. I will say uh, there's zero part of me that
1: is vengeful. Maybe that's the difference. Yeah, v- I think vengeance. if it's
0: spite, if it's just like, oh, I'm going to work harder at this thing I was already doing. Cool. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Send it. Send it, bitches.
1: OK, so then we got a couple what to do's in the category that I'm going to describe as overcoming fear in the creative world. Um, but I think it can apply to anything, not just the creative world. It just happens to be that these two people, one of them was talking about how they used to be a dancer. They stopped doing it for a while. Now they're back to it and like, they love it and it's so fun, but they also feel embarrassed that they haven't done it in so long. And like, they're just not used to being a performer anymore. Like they're used to being a background person. And now that they're getting back into performance, they're like embarrassed by it for some reason. And then somebody else a little bit different was talking about getting negative feedback on their creative work. They're also a content creator and like what to do when you're feeling down about negative feedback. So I think it all comes down to like the fear of what others will think when you're pursuing a passion project or creative work
0: well one of them's perceived criticism and one of them's concrete criticism so i think they're i think they're a little bit different but they're both they both kind of get back to like shame and confidence which i think everyone struggles with yeah
1: right yeah i mean i don't know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i can
0: I can I have more concrete feelings about the content creator one receiving okay. like criticism on your work, and I think this applies to any anyone in any field in any work or hobby or whatever but um content creation specifically is really interesting because I think there's few other fields where you get such a constant flow of granular <laughs> consistent Mm -hmm. user feedback and it is amazing like so many companies they spend millions and millions of dollars to get like just like a fraction of that level of user feedback but um obviously it also can teeter into something (laughs) that um sends you back into therapy and i actually would not say i will never say like ignore the haters because sometimes Criticism is really helpful and important. And sometimes they might pinpoint something that resonates with you. I think when you get feedback that really, really hurts, I think a lot of the time it's something that like a little part of you might agree with. Or like a little part of you knows an Mm. aspect of truth. Those are the ones that stay with me the longest. When I'm like, a part of me knows that something in there is true. I think those ones really hurt. And so I do like, I think I've gotten really helpful criticism um, at times, on YouTube, on the podcast, in different work. So I would never say, like, ignore it completely, but I think it's the art of, like, trying to discern what actually aligns with your own values um does it hurt because they're calling out a way that you failed your own values or does it hurt just because like somebody doesn't like you and for that one you do kind of have to get used to it and the more you hear it the less you give a shit
1: well we've recently talked you and i have recently talked a little bit about this and something else that you reminded me is like if you're not getting any negative feedback then either you're not growing, like you're not getting exposed to enough people where there's going to be people who naturally don't see things the same way as you don't like the way you're doing something or you're not doing anything interesting. Um, you're not doing enough. You're not doing anything interesting. You're not doing something that's worth commentary, that's worth debate, that's worth discussion. Um. So I think that also has helped me having that perspective of like, OK, it's actually good to get feedback, even if it's feedback that I don't like, even if it's feedback that hurts. There's something there for them to react to. And that's meaningful, even if it's hard to hear in the moment. And even if it's something you totally disagree with and you want to do nothing about, it still means like it incited a feeling. Um, Hopefully you're getting positive feedback too, so that you know that you're inciting both types of feelings. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a good sign that you're creating something real.
0: Yeah. I guess it just depends on what the feedback is because like the other thing you have to remember, especially with content creation and the comment section is like, I don't fucking value all these fuckers opinions. There Mm -hmm. are some people's opinions. I definitely value. There's some people's like consider the source. My brother will say this to me sometimes when I get like a really fucking wild, dirty ass criticism, that's just like insane and he's like, if you could see this person on the street and this person on the street came up to you and said this, you would be, you would have no issue dismissing it because that's a crazy fucker. Like, so I true. don't value all your fucking opinions. I don't value the opinion of every single fucking person on earth. I don't. And you don't either. Think about that crazy aunt you have to see at Thanksgiving when she gives you her fucking opinion on the news and you're like, I don't give a fuck what you think. I don't respect how you evaluate things. Oh, It's a lot of ants commenting in the comment section. Okay, It's a lot of out there. So I, it does depend on the comment. I think sometimes in discerning, like what's real, like valuable criticism, what's valid and what's not a lot. I think I made the mistake a lot of just like sitting with things privately. It can be such solo work. And I would just like, I would just fucking like deteriorate quietly over a comment for like months. Yeah. And then after months I would bring it up with a friend or a sibling and And only in talking to them about it and hearing their reaction, could I, would I realize how stupid and invalid the criticism was? Cause you just get in your head. It can Mm. really make you second guess, like everything that you know to be true. So I would actually suggest like talk to people about it, talk to people who you respect and they can help you figure out like, that's a crazy person. (laughs) That's not your fucking business. If they didn't like that, that's not your fucking business. If something you said that way, didn't sit with them. And then the other part is like um, I think I think criticism is the hardest to handle when you're trying to guess what people want to see. When you're trying to guess how to please people um, and you're just like instead of just like listening to like what you want to make and what you believe in and what you can fully endorse and stand behind, criticism is a lot harder to handle when you can't fully stand behind your own work. But if I make a video, I'm working on a video right now. I don't think anyone's going to watch it. I think a lot of people are going to hate it. I think I'm going to get a lot of blowback for it. But like, it's true. I mean it and I have to express it. So, okay, I don't give a fuck. Like, you know,
1: whatever. I have to make it. And um, yeah, that's that. I love that. Because that's more like, okay, you're creating a video right now that you are already anticipating a certain (laughs) reaction for. They're going to hate it. They're going to hate this video, (laughs) which I can't wait. I'm going to love it. It's perceived. You're perceiving the reaction before it's even happened. It's kind of like feeling embarrassed before anything has happened to make you feel embarrassed, like feeling shameful or feeling. Well, not that you're feeling embarrassed and shameful about this, but I'm trying to tie it to that. Yeah. Previous. What to do. and I feel like there's something interesting there about, like, overcoming the fear of embarrassment or the fear of what people's reactions will be without even knowing that that's the reaction yet. Yeah. Um, when it comes to creating content, creating art, doing performance. Putting yourself like, out
0: there in a, in a vulnerable yes. way.
1: Anytime you're putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way. Yeah. Yeah. I. And it's hard because I've even like okay i'm stepping out more and more into the content creation world and i'll catch myself watching content like scrolling through instagram reels or something and being like oh that's so cringe oh this person doing this like like ew like i hate this like really being critical of other people's content mm. and then being like oh shoot i'm a person that puts content into the world i have Instagram reels from the podcast that are popping up on the page of people I don't know where I'm talking about freaking there are eight different types of feet like Mm -hmm. somebody can watch that and think it's super cringy and and super embarrassing and I don't know I'm catching myself like being embarrassed for other people and then being like should I be embarrassed too it's just this whole cycle of I don't know you're putting yourself out there and not everyone's gonna like it If you like it, then at least you got that going for you.
0: Uh, This, I mean, this is how, yeah, totally. And the thing about embarrassment that's, like, so hard to remember is that, like, it doesn't, it's not real. It's not anything. Like, nothing happens. There's no consequences to being embarrassed. The only negative consequence to being embarrassed is usually fearing embarrassment and then stopping yourself from doing something that would make your life beautiful because you're afraid of embarrassment. That's the only fucking Mm. side effect. To embarrassment like someone even Jess, even you sitting in your living room privately thinking someone else is real is cringe they don't feel that they don't fucking know it has no effect on them like True. the only the only way you suffer from embarrassment is when you stop yourself from doing things you care about and easy, easier said than done uh, easier said than done I think it's like it's one thing it depends what you're trying to do like if you're trying to be brave about something like publishing your art or maybe publishing a video that's not like a live performance. I have a I have a special skill I've honed of like making my body do things that my mind has not yet cut up to, and there's like pros and cons to that. Yeah, <laughs> but
1: what's what are we? Is this sexual?
0: <laughs> oh, some people would refer to it as disassociating, but I'm, oh, sure, sure, sure. That yeah, yeah. familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, who knows where exactly I learned it, but. There is something to like, if it's something like I want to publicly share about this art I made, post about it on Instagram, like you actually don't have to have the confidence in order to do that. You just have to have the physical ability to upload the photo and press the button. And then the rest, it's just happening. It's kind of out of your hands. Like you don't have to have the confidence to jump out of a plane. You just have to be able to take a step. And then you're kind of in the air. But with, with live performance, it's harder. Like that didn't work for me. When I was doing improv or this girl talked about dance, like live dance, you can't fake it as much mm. um, because it's like it, it requires a different kind of presence. Um, but something that did help me when I was when I would like feel fear embarrassment, at least at work in my tech job, giving a presentation or something, I couldn't access real confidence for myself and I couldn't access like. It sounds like you are having a hard time accessing compassion for yourself in that, like why you deserve to dance and enjoy it, even if you're like kind of rusty. That's like a lack of compassion, because I think anyone else would turn to you and be like, you deserve to fucking go dance if you want to go dance. But if you have a hard time accessing that, like I do, my hack would be like I would give a presentation kind of doing an impersonation of my boss. I would mm. just like, I would just like, I'm gonna go out there and give a presentation the way that my boss would. And and suddenly I could embody all the mechanics of what confidence looks like without actually feeling confident. And I wonder if that might like tide you over for a bit in a dance performance until you also realize that like no one gives a fuck. No one no one cares yeah. if you're bad. No one cares if you're bad.
1: Yeah. I really like that. Um, it makes me think this whole piece of the conversation has made me think about doing stand-up because I, yeah. you know, I've only dabbled in stand-up. I've never been like a person that does stand up and goes to the open mics and practices weekly and like goes in hard on it. I just do it sometimes because it's Same. fun. I
0: didn't do it that and, intensely
1: either. Yeah. Right. And but that creates like an imposter syndrome in my head where I'm like, well, I'm not a real stand-up. And that creates a lack of compassion for myself when i go out on stage and try something and it's scary and i could be embarrassed but something that i've learned through my own dabbling and through <laughs> observing other comedians and listening to podcasts of comedians and things like that and and also through being an audience member and going to a lot of stand up shows is that the people there in the audience like want you to do well. And I don't. And that's not because they care about you. I'm not I'm not trying <laughs> to don't. pretend that like <laughs> they don't. human beings in the world care about each other. No, they don't fucking know you and they don't care. That's not why they want you to do well because they showed up at the show to have a good time. And so they want it to be a good show for themselves, not for you, for themselves. <laughs> and so if you're fumbling over something Or if your joke's not landing, and this could apply to a bunch of different live performance styles, um, the audience doesn't like that. The audience doesn't want that. Like they get nervous with you now. They're they're nervous with you because you're nervous. But if you own a mistake, like I'm sure we've all been to a stand up show where somebody kind of bombed a, a joke didn't land and they very quickly will say like, Oh, okay. taking that out of the actor like, oh, that's a new one. We'll have to workshop it more. And everybody laughs and everybody's like, oh, he's human. And he acknowledged that that wasn't that good. Okay, great. And we all move on. The humanity. Everybody loves humanity. Everybody loves humanity. Everybody is there to have a good time. And if if something happens where you messed up, just acknowledging and moving on is like, okay, and we're all back. We're all back to having a good time and just remembering we're all humans. So, I don't know. I think there's something there, too, with, like, mm-hmm. the audience isn't out to get you. They're not against you. It's faking the confidence, I think, for all of this and knowing that the audience will come along with you if you have a good enough pretend confidence that they believe.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? I think it does. I think about, like, yeah, again, in being improv, I think about improv a lot because I really struggled. This is, like, I never... Something that does haunt me a little bit is that, like, I never... um overcame this very problem in improv I was like pretty uh, like a talent there but something something happened where I got so nervous and it became a downward spiral where I'd get so nervous and it was like and in f- faking it till you make it doesn't work in improv because you have mm-hmm. to be so sharp and so present of mind Your it's you like your mind has to be like so relaxed and so at ease so the more the more anxious I would get the worse I would do the more anxious I would get the more worse I would the worst I would do, and um, at one point I like I like got prescribed like beta blockers by my psych oh, to wow. like try and like minimize. It, it was it got it was really intense. I was started drinking a lot before before performances. Everyone would joke that like by the time I got on stage I was like covered in red wine, and oh. and it didn't. And I'll I'll say like. I, you know, tried all these things that didn't help. They didn't help. They didn't make any of it better. And I ended up quitting. And I never kind of, um I never kind of resurrected myself, I feel like. But I do think about the people who were loved in that comedy scene. And everyone loves talent. Everyone loves someone who's, like, good at the thing. But they don't like a talented asshole. And people... Yes, they love talent, but they also loved the guy who, like, was, like, pretty bad at improv, but he was a really nice guy, mm. and um, I don't know. It I think it, it does center back to, like, that, that human thing that you were talking about, like, talent and, like, success is, like, a nice, shiny thing. We're all attracted to that sometimes, but what, like, will really set you at ease is just, like, relating to people and... Yeah. Trying to have a like a good attitude about it, which I don't really know how to do that. So, I, <laughs> But I relate. And um, and thinking back, that's like, I think the
1: people who thrived. Yeah. And they they suck and they sucked at improv. They sucked at it, <laughs> at least for me. When I'm in the audience, I just love seeing somebody on a stage trying something because Dude. they love it.
0: Yeah, I clap so hard. I think I'm like the most enthusiastic audience member because I feel I just feel for
1: you. I don't give a fuck what you do up there. I don't care what you do up there. I'm going to clap so hard for you. Same, because I've been on a stage trying something just because I wanted to see and because I had fun doing it and it was fucking scary. But I know what that feels like and I see myself in it, even if it's, yeah, an art form I've never done myself before. And I'm not saying every single audience member is that person, but there's enough people out there who like, they're just here to have a good time and see a human doing something, trying something. And if you can like allow your humanity to come through, then it'll probably get you further than you think. But all of this, this whole conversation is hard to have about dance. Cause I'm like dance. They don't talk. They don't get to like take the mic and be like, Oh, I know. this is my first time back in five years. Like they don't get to do that. when I'm doing stand up I can I can quickly on the spot think of a way to get myself out of a situation and get a laugh if I didn't get a laugh a minute ago. You know what I'm saying? It's harder for something like that.
0: I actually went to like a dance recital last night for like a friend. Actually, I went I was out I was out with Prince Abby who edits and we went we went to like her friend's dance recital. And first of all, I thought I was going to like a professional ballet. It was not. that. It was children. It was like children, and there it was it was some of the craziest shit I've ever seen. It was so. <laughs> it was like a wild experience for someone who was expecting a professional ballet. And then you were it was like just I like bought this children. outfit
1: to go young Republican outfit to go to the Nutcracker, and oh, I was, I'm I at was a hundred
0: percent. I was hundred percent young Republican foul mouth Samantha outfit. I had like a yeah. bow in my hair. And like a cute fucking jacket, and like then I was at a children's dance (laughs) recital, and some people were so fucking bad. There were kids like wobbling when they're supposed to be holding poses or like tipping over at the wrong times, and it was so crazy.
1: Editor's note for the record, this is the exact text I sent Caroline about the ballet. I'm excited too, smiley face she said there will be child ballerinas doing their best
0: in the whole time i was just thinking also how crazy it is sometimes to attend a dance performance where sitting in the audience like i felt like as an audience member i was not high i swear i was not high i'm never high but i was just sitting there in the audience just being like it's so crazy that i'm sitting here being like show me what you can do with your body and i'm yeah. gonna, you know what i mean yeah it was such a funny thing just being like We're all going to sit here, spectators, all these like different like square plebeians of Washington, (laughs) D.C., greater (laughs) metropolitan area, like now want to sit down and watch what these 13 year olds can do with their bodies. It's like it was such a weird (laughs) I don't know what my point is, but it was like a weird experience. And I clapped so
1: hard. Yeah, well, I know exactly what your point is. It's like the people in the audience are just people who guess what? Probably can't do the same thing that you're on stage doing. Even if you're doing it badly, the audience is still there to watch you because also who gives a They fuck? can't do that. They're matter. not doing that. They hate you. you who know? cares?
0: Fuck them. Fuck yeah. Okay. Em. My dad likes to say fuck them, and I agree. I
1: agree. It's always okay. it always comes back to the dads. Fuck them. Here's a a final what to do, and we've I feel like we've touched on this a little. But you were talking about this last week, and so maybe you have more to say. Oh. I'm going to try to push you. I'm a pusher. You're a pusher. So, <laughs> what to do when you're too shy to tell your guy what kind of <laughs> kinky stuff you want him to do? That's a good question. It's a fair question. We're all shy little girlies. Yeah. Here, here it not for everyone. We're <laughs> <for> the shyest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... Okay. <laughs> I mean, I have very basic advice like i don't know that i've mastered this i get super embarrassed and shy and like bashful yeah in a situation like that and also i like force myself to do it anyway and usually for me i'll just i'll turn it into a joke and then it's like no actually i'm being serious it's not (laughs) a joke fucking yeah (laughs) yeah or i'll be like oh i heard about this thing on a podcast and i thought that might be like fun to try even if i didn't hear it on a podcast yeah just like blame podcasting um so i don't know i'll like couch i'll couch my like weird fantasies (laughs) and desires and kinky requests with like i'm joking but i'm not or like caroline told me about this (laughs) or something
0: you can totally yeah that's my first piece of advice you can blame all of your kink interests on me because it yeah. probably it probably is one of my interests i have an entire i have an entire genre of sex fantasies that i dabble in i have an entire genre of of sex fantasies just about mall santas like stop it if you it's a whole series it's a whole series a series that lives
1: in your mind it's in my
0: mind i've never (laughs) seen it done properly to my satisfaction (laughs) online (laughs) yep most of most of my i'm sure it's out there but most of my fantasy most of my like porn watching is just in my mind these days because I think I could rate first of all, I think I could write really good porn. I think that would be really I genuinely do. And I think it'd be cool. And um I I used to be really nervous with this though. I think A being with someone it's important to be with somebody who like makes it possible to say things that make you nervous and I wasn't always with those people it's like definitely become a lot more comfortable with Justin I don't think he has been prepared for the things he's made me comfortable to share with him <laughs> this is your fault for making me
1: comfortable it's not my fault for having a dirty mind <laughs> but
0: I find that like I feel like the way I started sharing things that I was nervous like you know like I want to use a toy <laughs> is like you right. that felt so hard I would literally like practice saying it I would sit with Ashley and I would like practice saying confidently just as a a statement a sentence i like to use that this is what i do yeah and um and you can giggle with it and like start with something smaller maybe i don't know um start with something that's least scary and most likely if this person's not an asshole. They're probably going to be into it at least, if not immediately, they're going to be into it when you start describing why you're into it. Like, Mm. I don't know if you're talking about a guy, but at least most guys, most guys are just like into things that turn you on, you know, and like, tell me about them all, Santa. And... um. And so I would like share this thing that I like that maybe they've never thought of. And then I would start talking about why I like it, which in which just naturally becomes dirty talk. And you're just describing this fucking horny ass thing. And then they're into it and then they're trying it and it's not embarrassing for everyone. And then I feel like once you shared something small, then like you both just get more comfortable. Like, I think we've made each other more comfortable, like opening up more. With sexual
1: stuff. Yeah. You can always. This is what I would do with that. I would be like. Hey, I have this fantasy about mall Santas. And then my boyfriend would be like, what? And I'd be like, no, just kidding. <laughs> it's just this. And I'd pull back and I'd be like, no, it's just toys. I just want to use toys. So that's what I would do. Like start with a shot. Oh, yeah. And then girl, they're like, what? No terrible. fucking way. Something- what are you saying? No way. And then you're like, no, 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 just toys. And then they're like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> this is not good advice <laughs> because it's a what to do. <laughs> I love it. No, I agree. I think starting small, talking about why you like it. Building up question. the risk, yeah. <sighs> so I've heard mixed advice from like sex podcasts and just friends and stuff about when is best to have these types of conversations. For example, oh. some people feel... Like you shouldn't have them in the bedroom around sex, have them, you know, instead of like finishing sex and then being like, you know what? I really want to try. You should have this conversation like, I don't know, when you're just like having drinks on the couch and chatting. That's what some people believe, because potentially having a conversation like that right after sex will make your partner feel like, oh, no, was that not good enough? And now she wants to have me do this. You know, like, is there a time frame when you have it or is it just whenever these types of combos? For me, it's whenever.
0: I, yeah, I feel like it's it's just not usually after sex. It's usually like before sex, like cuddling, or maybe sitting around just talking or a lot of it's easier to do. If you're if you're floating a new idea, I think sometimes you might try it over text because you don't have to have the confidence to like say oh, it to their face. You could just I kind of like that. You could kind of just like raise over text like in a written form and see how they like, you know, they give them time to respond and stuff, and then it's easier maybe to pick up in person.
1: I don't know. Oh, I feel like text, I like that, because if they're into it, then... Horny as hell. Yeah, then it, like, becomes foreplay a little bit. Yeah. But also, it would make me nervous. It, it would make, make me nervous. nervous to be waiting for an answer, Ugh. you know? I
0: mean, I would say do take the risk in, like, bite-sized you know, I'm trying to think what's like the word, what's like the most extreme. I don't know. I mean, I was so nervous to even bring up like using a very basic toy with somebody like that was really hard for me. Um, and I feel like I've graduated very way past that, but it was like gradual steps. Yeah. I would just totally. start with gradual steps. You get like you, it also builds trust. Like don't, you do, like, a giant trust fall to someone that you don't even know has arms yet. Like, start,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: by checking that they're, like, interested in maybe trying a trust fall, you know?
1: Yeah. There are also a lot of these, like, card games. We've used one on the podcast, although it's not a sex one. But there are some that are sex-focused. Justin and I do have a lot of card games, yeah. It's super fun. It's a good way of opening these conversations, like... These yeah. conversation starters, some of them are spicy conversation starters. You can literally buy it on Amazon.
0: Yeah, you're not bringing it up. Like, the card now, is have asking. Have I shuffled
1: the deck and made <laughs> sure that certain ones will come up first? Yes, okay, I immediately.
0: Have. So there's a card, <laughs> there's a card, like a coupley questions card deck from The Cut. They have like a couples I've card heard of deck. that one. I will say there's like different sections of the card deck. I would say like, 80% of the questions start fights. Like, they're aimed to start fights. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, and it's to play with friends, too. It's so crazy. We can't touch, like, half this card deck. It's like, what is some time, like, Nate, describe a time where you lost a lot of respect for me. They're, like, crazy oh. questions. But, and you're supposed to play them with friends, like, out drinking. They've started so many fights. But there's a there is a section of the deck that's just, like, sexual fantasies, and that's
1: really fucking fun. I have one to shout out that's actually a friend of mine. It's her game. Um, It's called No Wrong Answers. And it's a card game. They have like three different um, boxes that you could buy. One is normal. One is like kind of sexy, spicy. And then one I think is like family or something. And it's really fun. I feel like, yeah, you have to get the good ones because sometimes the Questions that come up in those card games are so basic and you're like, we already know this about each other. It's like, this is not moving the needle. So you have to pick a good one, but that one's a good one. If you want to fight, the cut one sounds like a good one. Um, There's, there's, um, we're not really strangers is one. Oh yeah. There's one called, I think we just got this. I haven't tried this yet though. It's called
0: the and couples edition. I haven't tried okay. it yet, but it looks fun. The and couples edition yeah that's a great
1: that's a great place to start yeah do you have any closing thoughts for us or are we just freaking done here i don't have any thoughts yeah
0: i actually was thinking about this recently i feel like all of my creative energy is going towards my porn fantasies i feel like that's why i don't
1: feel very (laughs) creative anymore so maybe need to do a reading sometime
0: what do you mean, you a reading? You need to write
1: it. You need to write oh. one of your porn fantasies in like a oh, yeah. screenplay. It's gonna,
0: it's gonna, I actually have thought about it though, but it's going to get like, I can't even like describe the fantasies on here because like it's going to get so horny on this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're not ready. I'm yeah. not ready today. I'm I a don't cough. Think I, I need can, to I be in I like do... better health.
0: <laughs> I don't think I can share that with you. I don't know. I
1: don't know. I'm going to be so weird. I don't think I can okay, do it. Okay, if you ever can, I'm not going to put pressure on it, but I'm going to plant a seed that if you write a porn screenplay, we could do a table read. and it would be hilarious. We can do voices. We can get other people to come do a table read with us. Is that the episode that our boyfriends join us for? Oh <laughs> then it's like the four of us are horny, and that's weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: they do. the boyfriends do
0: want to be on the pod. or does your or does Ryan? Justin wants to be on the pod?
1: Yeah. Um, want is a strong word, but like (laughs) (laughs) would, would under the right circumstances. Yeah. Maybe we need to do a porn reading of an original screenplay that I write. I think that would be the right circumstances for him. I think that's really what he's been waiting for. He's like, I don't lend my voice to anything other than Caroline's fantasies.
0: (laughs) I have one that might suit. I have one that has served me, served me well for a while about the KFC guy. Um, Stop. He,
1: okay, I think he'd be into that.
0: I know because he cause he's a cook.
1: Because he's a cook, yeah. So that's
0: why I feel like he could be Colonel Sanders.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. He's that down. Although he's he's more of a Popeyes guy though. So oh. he might need to there might What's need to be some mascot? negotiations. It depends
0: what their mascot looks like. Hold on. Popeyes. Is it just a chicken? It's like
1: chicken. Is it a know.
0: chicken? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know what if, it is. I don't know. I don't know if I can make a chicken work. If it was like a maybe it was like a donkey or like Cat, a cat that looks like Tony Soprano.
1: <laughs> and that's where we wrap up. <laughs> We're not for everyone. We love cats. <laughs> Caroline loves cats. You can find us
0: on Instagram, not for everyone pod. um Tell us about the number weird... four is in there. The number four is in there. Tell us about your weird <laughs> porn fantasies. just is Jay Z DeBakey. I'm on YouTube as Caroline Winkler. And we love you, honey.
1: Honey bunches, thanks for being here. Kisses till you die. (laughs) Abby again. Regarding the ballet, neither me nor Caroline knew we'd be witnessing children dressed as pregnant mice fighting over a baguette dildo. What's worse, we didn't know the mice would mosh to a beat drop. LA has changed. <laughs>